you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn with me to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Uh, we're continuing our series. Yes, we know Christmas has come. We're, we're even past the... Uh, uh, are, are we really? No, yeah, yeah, I guess we're past the 12 days of Christmas as well. But we want, I, I just, this is a great passage and we, I want you to look at it. Now, what we've been doing in this series, uh, I have at the top of your notes an overview of the uh, weeks of Advent. So if you look at that chart there in your notes... Uh, how to celebrate Advent on purpose, and we've been kind of going, I've, I've taught this to you in our class for many years. It takes you through the Christmas story, all the characters, but it also reminds us what we are to do, uh, especially during this time of Advent, but really all year round. That's why it's okay to teach on these themes and these doctrines, because until Christ comes, comes we're to wait, we're to watch, we're to witness we're to worship, and we will then be ready to welcome his second coming. And here in Luke chapter 2, we see that Simeon greets the baby Jesus, who's only 40 days old. He greets him in the temple. And we see that in Simeon's greeting, prepares us to greet Christ when he comes again. And basically, the essence of what Simeon says there in, in, in this passage, in verse 30, he says, For my eyes have seen your salvation. Salvation is not four points in a prayer. Salvation is the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so let's look at this overview. Uh, so this, this is what those of you that are just down here or visiting, this is what we've been looking at. And we saw that Simeon went through those same aspects of Advent. Our first lesson was Simeon waited for the arrival because he knew the Old Testament pro promises. And really, this passage in Luke 2, is saturated with Isaiah. He knew the book of Isaiah. And then the second message was Simeon watched with anticipation because he is prepared. If, if you're really waiting for the Lord's coming, then you're going to watch for it. You're going to look for it. You're going to be prepared for it. And then uh, the last time uh, we met as a class, Todd taught Simeon witnessed with abandon because the good news must be proclaimed. Look, when you've got good news that Messiah has come, you don't keep that to yourself. You just got to share it with others. And that's what Simeon did. And so today we're going to see in this fourth aspect of Advent, Simeon worshiped with adoration because the king's arrival calls for wholehearted participation. And when you look at the Christmas story, the, the people that really, uh, really reflect this, of course, are the three magi or the magi that come and they worship and they adore him. But Simeon himself leads us to worship in a quite unlikely way. So uh, look there in your Bibles. Let's read uh, with me. We're going to look at Luke 2, 33 through 35. Notice what it says. Having, in verse 32, he ends with this climax of his witness that Todd taught. Then he says, And his father and mother were amazed at the things which were being said about him. That is, about their baby, their firstborn son, Jesus. 
And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rise of many in Israel and for a sign to be opposed. And then in most of your Bibles, there's a dash or a parenthesis there because he pauses and he speaks directly to Mary and says, A sword will pierce even your own soul. Then he picks up the prophecy again and says, To the end that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Well, you read that and you're like, whoa, Merry Christmas. That doesn't sound very, you know, happy, okay? This is a strange passage for Christmas. So strange that most times pastors don't preach it. Uh, You're not going to see this passage on a Christmas card, or at least I don't think you have. But this passage is relevant to Advent because it tells us how to live every day until Christ returns. In Simeon's prophetic witness that comes before this, Simeon proclaimed the now not yet had arrived. Christ has come, but he's coming again. Here in Simeon's prophetic warning, he predicts what living in the now not yet is going to be like for you and I until Christ comes again. So let's look at this prophetic passage in context. I just want to give you, there's some beautiful connections here. So we're going to move through this part uh, quickly. We see, first of all, the witness of Simeon about the child. That's verses 28 through 32 that Todd has already taught last, last week's lesson. Simeon blesses the God. Now notice what he does in verse 28. He blesses the God who has kept his promises of a coming sovereign Savior. And basically he says, all these promises in Isaiah are now being fulfilled in the Son. He's going to be a light to the Gentiles. He's the glory of Israel. That's all Isaiah. Then we see the wonder of the parents at the child. Notice uh, Joseph and Mary's response, verse 33. His father and mother were amazed at the things that were being said about the child. Now, why? Why were they amazed? Good question to ask. Why were they amazed? I mean, after all, hadn't, hadn't Mary gotten an angelic announcement already about who this was? Hadn't Joseph already had a prophetic dream telling him who this child was? Hadn't the shepherds already visited them 40 days ago and told them about the, the uh, angelic messengers that met them in the night? Why are they still amazed? Well, because you and I should still be amazed when we hear new things about Jesus. The point is this. They hadn't forgotten at that. They were amazed because the, new, the good news just keeps getting gooder and gooder. Now, you know, I, there's certain age element that just can't handle hearing that. Why? Because that's bad grammar, but it's good theology. The good news just kept coming, right? And they're just, they're filled with wonder. Why? Because this in the Bible, especially in Luke, Acts, this is the response of people to divine revelation. They get filled with wonder and amazement. And then notice what Simeon does. 
First he had blessed God. Now he blesses the parents of Jesus. Notice, and Simeon blessed them. Not just Mary, but Mary and Joseph. Now why did he do that? Why does he bless the parents? Because when parents come, Jewish parents come to the temple with their firstborn son, they're expecting a blessing. But when that son is the son of God, uh, you really need extra blessing, right? They are especially blessed to be the parents of the son of God. Just think of the awesome privilege to be the parents of God's promised Messiah. And what a great responsibility to raise the Son of God. And you know what's interesting? You look in the next past section of Luke 2, and you see how faithful they were as parents. They always brought Jesus for the first 13 years of his life till he became an adult male. They brought him to the temple. They brought him up and nurtured him in the things of God. But it's important to notice He blesses them both, both Joseph, both Mary. Now, what a beautiful moment right there. Just pause. I mean, you know, parent dedication like that, blessing of a child. What what It's a beautiful moment for first-time parents of the Son of God. It really does seem like a Christmas card, doesn't it? Sentimental, sweet, wonderful. And then suddenly, Simeon turns to speak to Mary... A very disturbing prophetic warning in verse 34, in the middle of it. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary. The blessing is to both of them. The prophetic warning is directed only to Mary. Why? And and so this is what we're going to look at today, if we can ever get to it is the warning of Simeon to Mary. So here's what I want want you to pause for a moment, because I think this is significant. Why to Mary only, and not to Joseph also? Because he knows they're both there. He blesses them both, but he only speaks to Mary. Why is that? Here's some wrong answers to that question. Wrong answer. It's not because Mary is the holy mother of, of God as in Catholic theology. It's not Mariology that we're seeing. It's not because she is the mediator between us and God's Son as taught in Catholic theology. It's not because she's more holy or more special than Joseph. We know from the the birth narratives that both Father and mother were holy and righteous. None of this is taught in the passage. In fact, Luke doesn't tell us why. So what do we do? Well, here's the likely answer. Comparing Scripture with Scripture, the reason only Mary is addressed with the warning is because Jesus disappears from this life of, Je- life of Jesus after he's 13 years old. The last mention of Joseph in relation to Jesus and Mary comes in the section right after this where they take baby, uh, the, not baby, the young boy, Jesus, who's now 13 years old, to the temple. It's because, more than likely, Joseph dies because he was likely older than Mary. Mary was likely a teen bride, which was very common in that culture. Joseph was likely older. And what happens is, 
at least sometime after Jesus is 13 and after Mary and he had several uh, many more children or actually their first children between the two of them, Joseph dies. So only Mary is addressed because God knows Joseph will not be alive to take part in Jesus's adult life and ministry. Does that does that click with you? So in any case, his prophetic warning that we're going to look at, 34b and through 35, is addressed to Mary alone, for she alone will be alive when the prophecy of Jesus' destiny is fulfilled in his life and ministry. And so what is this prophetic warning all about? Here's what these two verses are about. Simeon's prophetic warning to Jesus worshipers. It's a prophetic warning to all those who worship Jesus. And here's the warning. Even though it's a blessing to know King Jesus, see, they were blessed, it's costly to worship Him. Even though it's a blessing to know King Jesus, good news, it's also costly. To worship Him. Why? Because we're called to worship Him in a context of hatred and heartache. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Okay? That's what this is all about. And the reality is this. Joseph isn't going to be around to experience that heartache and that hostility, but Mary is. And so God, in His grace, prepares her. And so let's take a look at this. And here's the reality. Look at verse 34. The prophecy begins with this warning. Behold, this child is appointed. The idea is this. One of destiny, appointment, calling, God's mission on this this baby's life. Jesus' destiny was to obey His heavenly Father in a context, context of hostility and heartache, and such suffering is what God called him to, appointed him to. Why? Because he's the suffering servant of Isaiah, and he's the sovereign savior of Isaiah as well. And all those who worship this suffering servant, all those who follow this sovereign savior, are going to experience the same heartache and the same hostility. So, what I want to do with the time we have left is look at four characteristics of this child's divine destiny. And in those four characteristics, we're going to see what it's going to cost you and I to worship this child who is our king. So, let's take a look at it. The first thing about his destiny is this. This child will be the stone of division. He will be the stone of division. Notice verse 34 in your Bibles. Behold, something you find all throughout Isaiah, actually the whole uh, Bible, which always alerts you, God is about to do something divine and miraculous. Behold, this child is appointed or destined for the fall and rise of many in Israel. So the first question we've got to ask, what's rising and falling? You know, what is, what's the significance of this? Well, it all comes from two, especially two key 
prophecies in the book of Isaiah. Uh, I am convinced more than ever, after uh, taking a lot of time to read and just keep reading Isaiah, if you can conquer any Old Testament book, if you can conquer Isaiah, and it will be a challenge, but if you can get that book in your heart and in your understanding, it unlocks so much of the New Testament. And so notice, uh, falling refers to judgment, a stone to stumble over, and rising refers to salvation, a costly cornerstone to build up, to build upon. In other words, the stone does two things. It's one stone, some stumble over it, others build their Upon it, and this comes directly from Isaiah. So turn your Bibles to Isaiah chapter eight, the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament. Isaiah eight. Now I want you to see these two prophecies. I can't give you the background of them. I can't build into that. But I just want you to see that Simeon and God through this prophecy is is showing that these prophecies are going to be fulfilled. And Jesus is the stone of division. So look at Isaiah chapter 8, and let's look at verses 14 and 15. Here's a message of judgment. Look at verse 14. Then he will become a sanctuary. Isn't it interesting? This is being spoken of in the temple. The coming Messiah will become the temple himself. But to both the houses of Israel, a stone to strike and a rock to stumble over and a snare and a trap for the, excuse me, for the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Many will stumble over them. Then they will fall and be broken. They will even be snared and caught. Oh, he just piles up the words. It's like they will stumble, many of them, and they will fall, be smashed, snared, and seized. This is judgment when you reject God's Messiah. But notice Isaiah 28. Move on to Isaiah 28. And in Isaiah 28, many years later, God gives Isaiah another prophecy, but he picks up the ideas from Isaiah 8. So notice what what happens here. In Isaiah 28, let's look at verses 13 through 16. Isaiah 28, verses 13 through 16. So the word of the Lord to them will be, order on order, order on order, line on line, line on line, a little here, a little there, that they may go and stumble backward, be broken, snared, and taken captive. What's the, what's the main idea of that verse? Basically this, the word of the Lord, th- those who reject the Lord and His word are going to be broken by His word. Okay? 14. Therefore, hear the word of the Lord, O scoffers, who rule this people who are in Jerusalem. Because you have said, we have made a covenant with death, and with Sheol we have made a pact, the overwhelming scourge will not reach us when it passes by. 
You say, what in the world is that? Do they really make an agreement with death? Yeah, because instead of looking to God to deliver them from their enemies, they're looking to other nations. And when you look to anyone or anything other than the Lord, you've made a pact with the devil and death. In other words, you're not going to get bailed out. And then notice what it says. For we have made falsehood our refuge, and we have concealed ourselves with deception. Therefore, look at verse 16. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, there, oh, behold, see the connection? I am laying in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a costly cornerstone for the foundation firmly placed you place a cornerstone and you build on it it's interesting firmly placed is very similar to that word appointed that we found in look two that this child is set he is appointed he who believes in it will not be disturbed won't be disappointed so all i'm trying to i'm trying to show you Scripture with Scripture, that there's two things that happen here. This stone is going to come. The stone is the Messiah. And those who reject Him will be crushed by Him. Those who receive Him as God's King and their Savior will build their lives and they will not be disappointed. That's the idea. Okay. So, Jesus, as He fulfills his life and ministry, is going to show that he is the appointed Messiah. He is the stone, and it's going to divide people into believers and unbelievers. And many are going to fall over him with a hard heart and refuse to repent, believe, and worship him at all costs. But many will humbly repent, believe, and follow Him. And these will rise with Him just as He rises from the dead. And they will be established with Him and delivered by Him in His kingdom. Is that good? Isn't that great? But it all depends on how you respond to Jesus, the stone of division. And when you respond... You're divided into those who believe and you're separated from those who do not. Now, there's more we could say here, but Simeon is basically warning us, worship the child king who has come, but be forewarned. There are consequences if you reject him. All right. Now, here's what's cool. Jesus is the stone the builders rejected, but also the costly cornerstone of the living temple, his church. What happens in the New Testament is the New Testament writers take these prophecies and see that they're fulfilled in Jesus, and they apply them to Jesus, and they apply them to us as the church. So let's look at a couple of those. Look at, uh, turn back in your Bible, uh, turn forward to the New Testament, Luke 20. Luke 20, 15 through 18. I'm just showing you Simeon is like grabbing hold of Isaiah's prophecies, grabbing hold of the Christ child, and saying, bringing them together. And then the New Testament shows how that's fulfilled in Christ. So look at Luke 20, 15 through 18. 
Jesus is telling a parable about a vineyard and basically saying that the servants of the vineyard kill the owner's son because they want the vineyard. Basically, you're going to kill God's Messiah. And then here's what happens. Verse 17. But Jesus looked at them, the Jewish leaders. What then is this that is written? The stone which the builders rejected, this became the chief cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. But on whomever it falls, it will scatter him like dust. So basically, the stone is going to break you one way or the other. It either breaks you for salvation or it crushes you in judgment when you reject him. You see, salvation is not something that we're in control of. You know, Jesus isn't our pet, you know, our chia pet. that We just watch him grow and just take care of him. No, he's the king. And when the stone comes, he breaks our pride. We humble ourselves and we accept him. Or he just plain crushes us in eternal judgment. Now, there's so many more passages. I got Matthew 21 there. I got Romans 9. I got 1 Peter 2. On and on it goes. In fact, 1 Peter 2 talks about how Jesus is a living stone. And then we come to him as believers as living stones. And he builds us together to be a living temple of God's presence. Isn't it interesting that Simeon is... There's baby Jesus in the physical temple. And he's saying someday this baby's going to be a living stone and those who come to him, he's going to create, and by the, the, the new birth, you're going to become living stones where God's presence dwells with his church. So let me ask you a very practical question. I know that's a lot of Bible background, but it's important. Because God expects us to know our Bibles and see these connections. But here's the question. Which is Jesus in your heart and life? This morning, a stumbling stone you fall over in disobedience or a costly cornerstone you're daily building your life upon. You know, you may not have tracked with me up to this point, but that question is very clear. Depend and it all depends on whether you proudly stumble over him or humbly bow before him as your savior and king now why is israel singled out notice it says behold this child is appointed for the fall of rise of many in israel why does he point out israel after all in the previous uh, lesson that todd taught he talked about Jesus being a light to the gentiles and the glory to israel why is israel singled out and the reason is because the majority of the nation of israel is going to reject jesus as their messiah they're going to stumble over him and at the same time many gentiles from all the nations of the world we just talked about missions this morning will will have been raised up to be the people of god his church so many in Israel are going to fall in unbelief 
but many will be rise up. Israel remains a divided nation to this day. The majority are hardened in unbelief, and only a faithful remnant are believers in the church. People like the 12 disciples, people like uh, Mary and Martha, people like Paul, the apostle, right? And any Jewish believers you know. But the majority of the nation has stumbled but only temporarily. One day at the second coming of Messiah, the nation will repent and be restored to the kingdom. Why? Because instead of stumbling and unbelief, they'll look up when Christ comes at the second coming and they'll see the one whom they crucified and they'll repent and bow and be saved and the nation will be saved and these promises will be fulfilled at that time. You say, but what does that have to do with us? Well, look in your notes. Simeon's warning to Mary is the same as Jesus' warning to all his followers. Don't think I came to bring peace, but division. Just like the nation is divided by belief and unbelief, some of you have families, marriages, Parents, children, some of you are divided by belief and unbelief. There's heartache in that. Sometimes there's hostility in that. Some of you are not because you know. This is a daily reality. You're divided at work. You're in the minority. Most are unbelievers. And what Simeon is saying is that Jesus is a stone of division. And understand that when you come to him, you receive salvation, but you will face hostility and hatred from those who do not believe. Remember, even Mary and Jesus' half-brother and sister were divided from him during his earthly ministry until they finally believed in him. They thought he was crazy. Remember that? Come home, you crazy man. And Mary even knew this prophecy. And guess what? You know this prophecy now. And yet when hostility comes, we need to remember it. We need to remember it. So worshiping this child is going to be costly. It will cause great division. Some fall in unbelief. Others rise after falling due to an obedient faith. But there's more. Second. Here's the second thing about Jesus' destiny. The child will be the sign of opposition. Notice what it says. He's not only appointed for the fall and rise, the stone of Isaiah, but also for a sign to be opposed. So he not only causes division, but he himself is going to be opposed. Now, this is interesting. Simeon's warning is twofold. Jesus' response to those that don't believe, he will crush. But also, there is a response of unbelievers to him, and they respond with opposition and hostility. So here's what I want you to just see. Just think on this. Opposition has been the pattern ever since the first promise of Messiah was given. Ever since Genesis 3.15, when God said to them, there will be a seed of woman that will one day come, Messiah. 
the seed of woman, which Jesus has, is that seed of woman who we now know was Mary. The seed of woman will come, but the seed of the servant will bite his heel, a poisonous snake, before he crushes his head with his foot. Now, if you go to crush a poisonous snake and he bites you before he crushes his head, what's going to happen to you? You're a dead man. You're a dead woman. And what happened to Jesus? He was opposed and he was killed. And yet he's in that death. He crushed the head of the serpent and he rose from the dead. But here's what I want you to see. It was predicted in Genesis 3.15. Then what happens in Genesis 4? The first two kids of Adam and Eve, Cain kills his brother over what? Over true worship and false worship. Okay? Then think about the rest of the Old Testament. God's people and the prophets have always been opposed uh, uh, for living godly lives and for speaking God's truth. Every time God would send a prophet, what would unbelieving Israel do? Kill them. And oh, how they suffered. They were opposed. And yet, we need to remember what Jesus said. A disciple is not above his teacher nor a slave above his master. Basically, what Jesus told his disciples is, look, they're going to kill me. Don't think that they might not kill you, too. They opposed me and called me the son of the devil. They're going to call you the same thing. So don't be surprised when you face hostility from unbelieving family members. And I say this, because at the holidays, it's all Hallmark cards and Hallmark movies. Well, not I don't allow them in my house. But the, it's all that sweetness and sentimentality. And I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. Okay, I'm joking. Sweetness and sentimentality, right? And yet, when families gather with extended family, uh, you know, the holidays aren't always happy. And old wounds... Past abuse, unreconciled relationships, all that comes to the surface. And God is telling us, look, opposition has always been. You know, maybe you're opposed by family members or people at work because you're a believer. Jesus had opposition at his birth. Herod tried to kill him. He had opposition in his ministry all along, every step of the way. He had opposition that caused his death, both the Jews and the Gentiles. He had opposition after he was dead and buried. They wanted to seal the tomb. After he rose, he had opposition. The Jewish leaders bribed people to lie and say the tomb was empty because his followers stole the body. And then all through the book of Acts, Jesus' followers encounter opposition. Folks, don't surprised Jesus is a sign to be opposed and Timothy said or Paul said this to Timothy all who seek to live godly help me out will be will be persecuted and that brings us to the second aspect of the destiny of this child this child will suffer the sword of persecution This child will suffer the soul. So notice what it says in verse 35. 
for a sign to be opposed. And then comes that dash. How many of you have a dash in, in this, in your Bible? Okay, some of you. How many of you have a parenthesis, right? And some of you, they take this and move it to the end to show that it's a parenthesis. So here's the idea. It says this, and a sword will pierce even your own soul. Who's he talking to? Who? He's talking to Mary. He's talking to Mary. Why? Because Joseph isn't going to be alive at the crucifixion. He's not going to be alive for the adult ministry of Jesus. But Mary is. And what's going to happen to Mary's heart? It's going to be ripped and torn as with a sword. Moms, you ever had your heart torn out? You got Dane's mom sitting right next to Dane. I won't even go there. We'll keep moving. It tears our heart. Parents, it's hard. Is it not hard? Yeah. And this is what he's talking about. Now, stop and look at your translation. So this is a pause, all right? And I think it's important to keep it in the middle because right in the middle of this profound God's purposes through Jesus all through the ages, he pauses and he has a word for Mary. And here's what he says. Mary's heart will be troubled. It will be troubled throughout her son's life in ministry. Mary's heart will be troubled. She knew he was the son of God, but living with the son of God is another thing. Most of you in this room this morning, I hope, know Jesus as the son of God. But living that out on a daily basis is not so easy. Sometimes we don't understand what he's doing in our lives. It didn't take Mary long to get confused by her son. Because in the very next section, they take him to the temple and they leave. And Jesus stays behind and Mary just rips him to shreds. What were you thinking? Don't you know what you put your father and I through? And notice it was Mary that was taking the lead in that. In terms of being broken, troubled. And Jesus just calmly turns to him and says, Didn't you know I'd be about my father's business? And then he obediently left with him. And then at the wedding at Cana, Well, my son's the son of God. We don't have enough wine. He can take care of that. And Jesus had to put her in her place gently and saying, Mom, woman, Not in a derogatory way, but what is that to me? I don't do your bidding. And then with that gentle and gracious heart, what does he then do? Having made sure she understood who he was and who she was, he then granted graciously her request. And on and on it goes. And I already mentioned here in Luke, uh, one, he, he, uh, Mary grabs the, the, the half-brothers and sisters. Your, 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 your oldest brother is just being a nut. Let's go take him home. He's embarrassing himself. And Jesus again had to say, who is my mother? Who is my brother? Who is my sister? And he pointed to his disciples, all those who obey my word. And so all throughout his ministry, she was troubled. But I think the primary point 
and fulfillment of this prophecy is Mary's heart will ultimately be torn apart at his crucifixion. Her heart will be torn apart at his crucifixion. In the New Testament, there's two words for sword. One is a a small dagger for surgical killing. And one is the broad sword for hacking. And the word here for sword is the broad sword. Look, your heart is going to be shredded. Now, what's going on here? Basically this. I think the fulfillment of this is when you see your son being crucified. At that time, I think Mary has believed. And you see him die. One of the most cruelest, most, most, most physically brutal, torturous death. It's just going to shred your heart. And Jesus himself is dying under the judicial sword. That's what they would call the sword of the government. Under the sword of Rome. Because of the Jewish leaders. Together conspiring. But let's stop and pause here. I want here. This is so cool. This is so cool. Okay, so are you ready? Let's stop and look. Because here's what we see in this. Here's what we see in this prophecy. He stops God's big prophetic program and he stops. Why? Because he wants us to see God's heart for Mary's suffering and ours. He wants us to see God's heart. He's like, look, there is opposition. There's division. There's opposition, and there's going to be persecution. But oh, time out, Mary. I care about you. I care about you. And God is pausing to remind each of us, whatever your heartache is, whatever your hostility is, due to following Jesus, God's heart is towards you. What do you think? So much that he said, time out, Mary. I have a heart for you and for your suffering. God, listen, what he's basic, what we're seeing in this passage is God is large and in charge. Okay, he's fulfilling his purposes through his son. And there is division and there is opposition. There is persecution, but God is large and in charge, but he's also near to hear your broken heart. And he cares about what you're going through. Isn't that beautiful? I think it's a beautiful thing. Some of you are carrying very heavy burdens into the new year. And God wants you to know. He knows that and he cares. Jesus knows because he suffered much more than you will ever suffer in your place to ultimately heal your broken heart and to heal the woundedness of sin. Amen? But there's more to reflect on here. And here's the second thing. We should see in this prophecy God's heart for Mary's sin and ours. God's heart for Mary's sins. Why does Mary... Because you're saying, well, if God cares... If God cares so much, then why is Mary's heart going to be broken? Well, let's go further. If God cares so much, why does his son have to die on the cross? And the answer is both. Because we're sinners in need of a sinless substitute. 
So basically what he's saying is, look, Mary, your heart's going to be broken, but in that breaking, you're going to be saved by the one who, the suffering servant of Isaiah, the sacrificial lamb of Isaiah 53, the conquering king who's going to come. He is going to take care of your sins, but it won't be without heartache. So I leave you with these couple verses from this point. Romans 8.18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. And what is that purpose? For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. Whatever you're going through and whatever you're fearful of in this coming year, God is allowing it to conform you to Christ. So worshiping this child is going to be costly. There's division, there's opposition, there's persecution. But look at how this verse ends. Here's the fourth thing about Jesus' destiny. This child will be the sifter of motivations. The sifter of motivations. Notice verse 35. Why is all this going to happen? Well, verse 35 tells us. To the end that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Here's the reality. The coming of Jesus and the preaching of his gospel reveals what's really in our hearts. You see, Jesus is the great revealer of people's true motives and thoughts about God. You with me? You preach Jesus, and what people think about God comes out of their hearts. And that's what he's saying. All of this is going to happen. And so when, when you, if you oppose the gospel, that's telling you that you still have a rebellious heart. And when you accept the gospel, it shows that you know in your heart of hearts, I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. And I know who Jesus is and I want Him to be my King. So here's what I want you to see. Jesus reveals our hearts not merely to shame us about our sin, but to truly save us from our sin. Jesus reveals our hearts not merely to shame us for our sin, but to truly save us from our sin by showing that He is what we need. He's the high priest who suffered in our place to purchase our salvation, Isaiah 53. Our risen King who enables us to overcome division, opposition, and persecution until He comes again. And He is our faithful prophet whose promises will all be fulfilled in His second coming, as literally and as faithfully and completely as they have been in His first coming. Is that good news? Listen, God exposes us. He humbles us. He breaks us so that we see 
who we really are and who we really need is Him. Him alone. Wow. This, just, this passage is unbelievable. So listen, Simeon's warning is really simple. You don't get kingdom blessings without persevering through kingdom suffering. You know, Luke wrote a gospel, but he also wrote the book of Acts. And it's in the book of Acts that the Apostle Paul says to the newly planted churches, the living stones of the New Testament church, he strengthened the souls of disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, saying, through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. We can do it. Not because we can do it. He can do it through us. Here's the thing. Let's worship the king with costly worship until he comes again. Let's follow Simeon. Jesus will graciously reveal our deceptive hearts. He will soften our hardened hearts. He'll revive apathetic hearts. And he will strengthen our humble hearts until he comes again. Isn't that good news? Happy New Year, because we've got a risen Savior. Hostility, it's increasing. Heartache, it kind of seems like it's here to stay. And many times it is. But we have one who is the stone that if you'll build your life on him, you will not be disappointed in the end. Let's pray. Father, we are humbled I am humbled. I'm teaching way above my pay grade. I just see a fraction of what this is. And I pray that you will seal this message in our hearts. We don't know what the next minute will hold, much less the next year and the years to come. But we know this. There'll be division. There will be opposition. And there will be increasing persecution. But Lord, may our hearts reveal the motivation that we will worship you at any cost. In the small things and in the big things. I pray your blessings upon each person here. So thankful for each person. And Lord, we have been blessed by you through your son and by your spirit. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. Hey, have a good, good 2022.